We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And yesterday, we were brought to the halfway point of the 2022 NBA playoffs with a pair of blowout Game 7s. In the first game, Boston advanced over Milwaukee uh, in a series that was hard fought, but I think the better team certainly won. And then... Probably the first or at least biggest surprise of the playoffs is Dallas absolutely ravaged the Phoenix Suns in the nightcap. And yeah, we're going to, I think, dedicate a little more time to that one than than the first one. But I do want to start with that first one, guys. And I wanted to uh, focus at least my my part of it on uh, shot quality and the kind of shots that you can create. Now, normally in game sevens, there are these rock fights that are fought on the inside and that jump sh- jump shots are at a premium. Very difficult to make jumpers oftentimes in game sevens. Milwaukee came into that game with a really interesting <laughs> game plan. And the story of that game was the discrepancy from the three-point line. I think it was like 48 points or something like that. And Grant Williams shot 17 threes. Now, the reason, D, that he shot 17 threes is he was extremely open for much of the game. It seemed like the game plan was to leave him open. And when you do that, now, certainly there's a certain amount of fatigue and nerves and, you know, they are closing out sort of. That allows a shooter to get into a rhythm and that allows a shooter to return to what I call home base, which is when your feet are set you're not moving, you don't have anybody closing out or rushing you, you get to to shoot the ball exactly the way you want to shoot it. And when you contrast that with the type of looks that Milwaukee was getting on guys that don't, that aren't like really high-end shot makers, um, you end up getting a result like that. So I'm curious your thoughts on that, D. Game seven's usually hard to get the kind kind of looks that Boston got in that game. But a big part of that is Milwaukee does that by de- by design. They surrender those shots by design. But, you know, games like this will happen as a result. Yeah, Milwaukee is one of the better teams in the league at 
surrendering three-pointers to the players who they actually want to shoot three-pointers. Right. And so it's it's why they're consistently at the bottom of the league in three-point field goal attempts allowed, right? So teams shoot a ton of threes against them. But for several years now, I, I want to say they've been in the top five or ten in three-point percentage allowed. And it's because they typically keep you out of the corners. And and then the people who are shooting above the break are the guys who you want shooting threes. A thing I mentioned a few pods ago is that one of the things that I think the Bucks also wanted to do is they wanted to put the ball in the hands of the players on the Celtics whose first instinct isn't to shoot. Their first mm-hmm. instinct is to make a play for someone else or swing the ball or drive and kick. And it's like, okay, if we're going, we, we don't want Tatum or Brown to beat us. They're obviously going to be the guys who take the majority of the shots. But as many of these, like where Horford or Williams or Derek White could yeah, be open too. the yeah. first kick out so that it's like, they're the swing swing guy. Mm-hmm. So, and they're in the middle part of swing swing. So, mm-hmm. right. So, don't close out to them and see how they respond to my next read is to swing it again because yes. a closeout is coming. But, D, if you do that all game, like right. at first it worked. They went up by like 10, Milwaukee did to begin that game. And there was that like hesitation that, like, oh crap, I, I'm the open guy. I'm but open again. I'm open again and I, again. Yes. And so there was a point where I don't know, Mike, I'm not sure what Grant Williams shot at the very beginning. Like, I think he hit one and then maybe missed two or three. And then and and then it was sort of just and then he had passed up a couple. Yes. And and it's sort of just like, okay, well, you're one for you're one for three or one for four. It looks like it's not going to be your night. And the Bucks are just like, well, yeah, this is what we want. But to Pete's point, Mike, I'm guessing during one of the timeouts, the head coach, Udoka, and the rest of his teammates were just like, look, Doc, they leaving you open. I don't care if you put up 20 of these. Yep. You shoot that shot and you find your rhythm and these are open. Stop thinking about it and let them fly. And after a while, he was hunting them, right? And, and it's like you saw... You saw it in his eyes, the idea of, I'm just going to get these shots up. Like, oh, you leaving me open? These are practice shots, right? And it's the same sort of shots that the Warriors were giving John Morant, right? It's just like, yeah, walk right into these. These are wide open. And these dudes, NBA players, if you ever seen an NBA player shoot in like practice. Oh, man. They shoot like 80%. And it don't matter if you're a big man. I've seen Dwight, Mike, like just bombing threes like, oh, there you go. These are wide open. No pressure. I'm just shooting them. And so I think the Bucks were probably thinking, okay, game game seven, pressure, stakes, like these jumpers, legs are going to be heavy, but... Mike, I'll let you talk uh, talk about this more, but look, when you play at home, and it's game seven, and the crowd is on your side, and these are wide open shots, they start to fall, and it that confidence just builds and builds and builds, and I felt like that's what happened for Grant Williams especially, but for Boston in general. First of all, impressive discipline from Pete in starting in the Eastern Conference uh, after 
the Western Conference series last night. We're, which, we're letting it build, right? We're yeah. letting the tension build. Yeah. Yeah. So that <laughs> I, I wanted to note that first of all. Now, this I get all the attention for Grant Williams, and of course that shot making was big, but I didn't think that was the main thing in this game. Like the Bucks scored thirty eight points in the second half. Uh, they just wore down Giannis, yeah. who was an absolute titan uh, all season and in this postseason, and really just carrying this team on both ends. Yeah. To a degree, it ran out of gas. Now, he was still being productive. He's still rebounding. He's still playing defense. He's still getting steals. But he was four for 16 in the second half. And a lot of them were shots that he's very comfortable making right around the rim, mm-hmm. you know, just missing finger rolls. And, and why? Because Boston had three athletic, long defender and or stout, in the case of Williams, defenders in his grill the whole time. And then he had to go down and defend a Jason Tatum or a Jalen Brown or protecting on Al Horford, who requires you to get to the three-point line. So I, I just thought Boston was better without Chris Middleton and without Milwaukee. To I don't want to repeat myself too much from these previous pods, but you just have to add something to the team that wins the title if you want a chance to repeat. You have to. It's uh, There's never been a case for me in NBA history where you can go through that grind mentally, physically, all of it, without having something else there. And I did think Drew Holiday stepped up again in the second half. I mean, he was six for 11. He had 15 points. He was still playing defense, but they got nothing. You know, Grayson Allen 0 for 2. Matthews 0 for 1. Brooke Lopez 1 for 4. Portis 2 for 6. Like, nobody else was doing anything to help fill that gap um, that was created when Giannis finally came down to earth and, and wasn't able to get it going. So I think you have to credit Boston and that roster and just being a little better. And and sure, the game plan stuff I'm not dismissing, but I thought that was a big factor. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the game plan is in part where you where a coach starts saying, as soon as you start saying, all right, we're going to give them this. Yeah, because you have to. You have yeah, because you have to, right? Like, exactly. Like they don't the want to give them open threes, but they're like, well, otherwise we're screwed because Tatum and Brown and yeah. Because one of the things that had happened, one of the stories that had started to develop over the series, I was really curious that Wes drew the Tatum assignment. Because one of the things from watching him um, over the course of a year is he's a guy that you can go over the top, right? I said, you know, I distinctly remember some plays with Andrew Wiggins, for example, where Wes is guarding Wiggins, who's more of a shooting guard, small forward type. And I was like, oh, wow, Tatum's a big dude to be uh to be defended by a guy the size of Wes. And Wes is a tough guy, but at some point just size matters. And, but there's a certain lure of the way the Bucks play defense where it's like, I do have this open jumper and it can kind of like lure you into doing that when that may not be your game. And so earlier in the series, Tatum was very jump shot centric or he was over penetrating into drop coverages. So the adjustment that they made was they were like, oh, we're just going to let Tatum take Wes one-on-one or whomever is on him in a one-on-one circumstance. And a lot of those cases, Darius, that was a guard-sized guy. That's one of the reasons, like, not having Middleton. I actually wonder, like, do they win this series if P.J. Tucker is on Milwaukee? Which is something I didn't think at the beginning of the series, but just defensively that, like, you know what I'm saying? And so that's kind of what broke it down and then leads to that decision from Milwaukee of, like, well... We can let penetrate. We can let 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 Brown and Tatum get into the teeth of our defense, which is ex- exactly what we don't want. We can blitz. We're in trap, which is not something that we do all season, right? Like we're not a put two on the ball thirty feet from the rim and then scramble around on the back line type of defense. We don't do that. So what can we do that works within our ethos? And it that's that's why I thought the it was illustrative of your point, Mike. Right? Like that 
the the roster discrepancy is what leads to that type of decision. Yeah, Boston ended up being the better team, the the team that had more shot creation. Missing Middleton was was huge, obviously, for the Bucks on both sides of the ball. I agree with you on the PJ Tucker point, and we're going to see how much Tucker would have mattered because Boston's now going to face the Heat, mm-hmm. and having that extra defender matters because it slots people appropriately. West doesn't have to take the Tatum job. All of the time, he can be the secondary Tatum defender, yeah. and he could potentially even be the guy that you put on Marcus Smart, and then you put Drew Holiday on Brown, and then that means that Allen doesn't have to play much or at all, because Connaughton can be the guy who plays. And there's all of this stuff, Mike, that when you when you have one extra dude, it can reposition everything in a way that allows you to play more to yourself and more to your natural identity versus any given team. And the Bucks lost some of that with Tucker, and they definitely lost it with, with Middleton and down two key rotation players from the team that actually won you the title, one by choice and one because the injury gods struck you down. That puts you in a real tough spot. Just one little point I want to make about Milwaukee is that I thought they played well enough and did enough to win this series, even though they shouldn't have. And then Tatum came out and had this ungodly, otherworldly, I guess godly, uh, 46.9 rebound performance in game six. And because Giannis had 44-20 in that game. Mm Uh, that and was the did game. it efficiently. If Milwaukee was, yeah, yeah. If Milwaukee was going to win that series, Mike. It was that was the one. Like they, had, they yeah. made the comeback in the game they shouldn't have won in Game Five, right? With that ridiculous mm-hmm. comeback, and it was their, by the way, their second comeback of the series. And then Boston just did enough. Like Smart and Brown were both good in that game as well. So Smart and Brown were a combined nine for sixteen from three in that game, and Tatum hit seven threes. And so Boston only turned the ball over eight times. So that was that was their sort of. Uh, a little bit like the Warriors in game six, like when Clay went off, not although not quite to that degree. And I thought they got to get credit for that because Milwaukee played well enough to win there. So let's go to break here. And I want to go to break on the point of the basketball gods because the Bucks decided on the last game of the season that they were basically going to tank it. And they basically handed Boston the higher seed. And so they played that game on the road. When in theory, if they would have handled business on the last day of the regular season, they could have had that game at home. Another part of the basketball gods is don't talk too much shit when you ain't done nothing. <laughs> and so so we go on to break. And when we come back on the other side, let's talk some Phoenix Suns. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Pete, I was about to interrupt Darius on that tease, but he didn't need it. He was just he was just building up to it. He had the tease. That was ready. one of those where like you're up by thirty. <laughs> I was like, wait, we talking about yeah, yeah, that's what I thought too, right? Uh, I, that was one of those like you're up by thirty or forty. Say you're like you know Dallas Mavericks on the road against the Phoenix Suns, for example, and you get you like jump a passing lane. Darius like jumped the passing lane, sending it to break, and then like lobbed that shit off the backboard to himself and just like cranked it from way behind his head. Talk to me about the, Mike. You saw this coming on some level. You, you, I, I'm so mad at myself for like believing that the Phoenix Suns were more than what they were. Like they had such, the only team that they've beaten in a playoff series that like had their guys in the last decade was a Peloton, Pelicans team in the first round that they struggled like hell against. And they didn't even have Zion, right? So like, I'm so mad for not seeing this, but you did, Mike, you have the floor. Talk to me about a, a, a butt kicking in Phoenix. Well, I actually, I kind of want to pay off Darius's tease by letting him go first on this. Um, I, I do have some some notes jotted down about the last kind of two seasons. So I would happily defer to Darius here and then I'll, I'll try to fill in any gaps where I can. My whole thing is, is that when you're a top flight contender, the, so the Suns carry themselves a certain way all season. They carry mm. themselves as if they were the team that actually won the championship. Right. But they, they also have a parade. But they also carry themselves like a team that had this massive chip on their shoulder. But you can't be both. So choose your lane. So they were the cocky, arrogant team, like we're better than everyone. Right? Campaign basically saying, Oh, worried about the Lakers. They need to be worried about us. Yeah, not so much. Like at the end of the day, not so much for y'all. What y'all need to be doing is stop even worrying about anyone below you and just focus on the fact that y'all ain't actually done anything yet. Y'all got to a finals, which is fantastic. Congratulations. You lost though. And so at that point, you can't come back and be like, well, we're better than everyone else because you're not. You didn't end the season winning it all. And then talk shit to everyone (laughs) along the way. And act like, oh, well, we're this hungry chip on our shoulder team and we're going to destroy everyone and then we're going to tell everyone about it. Because when you do all that, the basketball gods wait for you, Mike. They lurk. They're lurking like (laughs) Jose Alvarado on the baseline, just ready ready to (laughs) jump out and take it from you. Right. And that's what the Suns were doing. And so the most emblematic picture still photo from this postseason is going to be that one with the box score at the bottom where they're down by a billion points and Luca is just staring at Devin Booker like, oh yeah, y'all thought y'all were hunting me. But in reality, I was hunting you. And I'm actually better than all of y'all. And that was the takeaway to me is I've been talking a lot this playoffs about the best player and Tatum is quickly rising up the ranks. I thought Giannis basically ran out of gas as uh, the best player. But in this series, Mike Luca to me showed, yep, pretty much my league now, right? Like maybe not because of Giannis out there lurking, but in a series like this, I'm better than all y'all. I'm just better. And he relished, he relished bombing these dudes out of existence yeah so first of all credit 
to Luca and to Dallas. And I, I think that we'll have another pod, maybe even tomorrow, about that series against the Warriors. And my early feelings are that it's going to be tough for Golden State. Like, I, I think that I might actually pick Dallas to win that series because Luca, there's some real early LeBron vibes um, with kind of his secondary playmakers as uh, with, you know, Brunson and Dinwiddie and just defensive role players around it. And Luca's just such a problem that, and he's going to be able to hunt pool and Curry, but uh, let's, let's pause that for now. We'll sure. get to that. So with Phoenix, I'm actually, I'm a little mad at myself for not having the guts to actually pick against them. I, you know, I, I kept flirting with the notions of it. Like, hold on guys. Like Chris Paul eventually always wears down in a series. Like that's it's happened every year. It happened in the finals last year. Bill Simmons actually went through going back to 2008 and I'll spare you the whole thing, but it, it just, all of these eventually at a certain point in the series, his team who he's, he's really pushed expertly in a way to get regular season wins and driven mentally and physically. And then they hit some combination of a mental and physical wall at some point. And that's part of it. And then the other part of it is the simple, the other point that we talk about all the time with the size and the lack thereof, and how difficult it is for somebody that size uh, to continually go against bigger and bigger players and bigger wings and traps, and which they didn't need to do in this series. They just kind of saved those for Booker. And Paul couldn't because he couldn't beat a Bullock or a Finney Smith over the top anymore. Like he couldn't get those shots to fall. He didn't have the energy to do it. And that has just happened year after year. And so Phoenix, going back to last season now, they beat the Lakers, of course, without Anthony Davis, uh, they're they're down two to one. LeBron is hobbled off the high ankle sprain. Caruso, KCP, and Kuzma are worn down from the bubble run, and they just eventually they run out of that gas. But guess what? They won the chip the year before, right? So that's kind of Darius's point early that they had they had accomplished the thing that you try to accomplish. Then they beat Denver uh, without Jamal Murray. It's Austin Rivers and Facundo Campazzo starting in the backcourt, right? That's not something that's going to wear down Booker and Chris Paul. Then they beat the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. Um, it goes to six. The Clippers had collapsed to the Nuggets the previous year. They go up 2-0 in Milwaukee, and then they they essentially just go get out of gas. This season, they had the they. I think that the chip that they had on their shoulder in some ways was proper and was needed, but it also devalued. I think it with the regular season being devalued by so many other teams and so many teams missing key players and so many teams having COVID absences. And so many stars being out in the West, you know, it was this kind of perfect scenario where Phoenix was able to to look like they were that much better than everyone else. Yeah. And and that, I think, is part of what I was what I was pushing back against just by watching a lot of league pass. Well, they're I don't know if they're this much better. They're not this much more talented, but they're they're sure. together. They're playing harder, you know, and that is a that's a great recipe. But if that if there wasn't a warning sign there the new Orleans series was a warning sign. That, that was a 10 seed that eventually got up to the eight seed and, you know, good, like have a lot of good players, but that's not a team that in theory should push a mostly healthy 64 win regular season team to where they did with game six. And then Phoenix starts out like Dallas was right there in games one and two, save for a bad start to game one and an awful finish to game two. And so all of these signs that continue to build and continue to build and and uh, Pete, now you have gone way too long without getting to weigh in here. You know, you brought up Chris Paul wearing down and you saw that coming like well in advance. And a couple of things about that, because I think that 
I mean, it's notable that both of last season's finalists went out on the same day. And the thing about running out of gas is you don't get it back. Once it's done, you're done. And that was something that, you know, Dallas won four out of their last five games. And a big part of that was a Chris Paul running out of gas, which comes from he had that what that 14 for 14 game in game six against the Pelicans where he was just a monster. And but he was he had his foot all the way down on the gas, Mike. And then what does Dallas do in this series, especially in the later parts of this series? I've never seen Chris Paul targeted to this degree. Teams have always gone at him in the playoffs because he's the smallest guy out there. But he's had the juice in his legs to be able to do what he can, right, at his size. Not going to win all sorts of battles, but he's a little fire hydrant. He knows the, the theory of the game so he can anticipate. He does certain things very well where he's not just like a total negative on the defensive end. Well, a Dallas team that has... Probably the certainly the best on ball guy left in the playoffs. Like that's the thing about Luca is that he's he in and of himself is going to get you a good shot every time. When they lost these last couple of years, he was he was whooping on on like he was he was dominating Kawhi and Paul George and Patrick Beverly those type of guys. And they lost those games because they could not get a stop. The big difference in Dallas is they're a good defense now. Now they're not they're not a perfect one and they certainly have vulnerabilities, but they're a high-level defense. And so if they can get stops and then it's like, oh, Jalen Brunson? Yeah, Jalen Brunson can score on Chris Paul in space and go through him or go over the top of him. And he's crafty too. And so that level of being able to take out CP3, I think was like Almost, a, it seemed like a coordinated effort throughout the, the whole series, Mike. If there's one other point I want to make about Chris Paul, and I think it's a reason why wearing out sometimes is, is the wrong terminology because he also, he doesn't get the benefit of the things that help him win some regular season games as the series goes on. This is the, the part of the Chris Paul experience that isn't as fun to watch. It's the grifting stuff. It's all the extra stuff. And that was what he filed out of a game. Why? From doing all of that nonsense. Yep. And I get that yep. it's wired into him. Heart, that's just part of his being. And it, this, I don't mean it as like a Chris Paul takedown. He's a great player. But Harden has some of those same tendencies. Like yep. you, And guess the guys that eventually do win. LeBron, he doesn't need that to win. Luka no. doesn't need any of that. He's, no. he's big enough. He's strong enough. Kobe didn't need that. You know, Kobe had some tricks, but that was really more to get usually get guys to foul him, not to trick the ref. So that's the other part and maybe basketball guys to an extent. But that stuff, if it works, even in game one, game two, eventually, like oh, in a series, the refs are just going to stop rewarding it. And, and that takes a certain edge off of his game. There's also a certain degree of the player across from you starts stops falling for the BS time where you just stop all of a sudden when that's not really the basketball play that you make there. And like that's the thing is the playoffs reveal truth in a way that the regular season never can. And like, what are you capable of in a high level series? And that's why the breakdown of the Suns was fascinating that not only did they lose that series, they lost four out of five. Right. So let's go to break and keep uh, tossing dirt on the Suns grave. This is an occasion that Darius even dressed up for. He's got the nice, nice shirt, looking ironed, and the tie, looking good, man. So you were you were very excited about this. No wrinkle shirt. It's a no wrinkle shirt. It saves you some time. Mike's familiar. I know that Mike would be familiar because you know all those suits on the road and uh, all the dress shirts and all the ties. But uh, but this is not a suit. It's just you know normal shirt. I, normal I do tie. Like, I do like a no wrinkle shirt. However, I found that. 
I very, very rarely don't have my jacket on anyway. So, you know, <laughs> sure. I, I worry about it a little bit less. Uh, it, it's it's more important at maybe like a wedding where you're, you're trying to get out there on the dance floor and you're still hoping that thing isn't. But yeah, I, at this point, I don't mind a, a shirt that gets wrinkly. I'll just I'll just have my suit jacket over. So this, <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, I did not dress up just to slander <laughs> the suns, but I did want to continue to sort of discuss the the idea of one of the subplots coming out of the game is what happened to DeAndre Ayton. Right. Mm. Because one of the things that I thought made the Suns super just a very intriguing team, both this season and for the long term, is the fact that Aiton is the type of physical big that you can leverage in playoff games in ways that you can't necessarily with a guy like Rudy Gobert. Right. Aiton's supposed to be the guy who's got great hands. You could throw him the ball down low some. He can score. He's not going to be as susceptible to being swarmed. He can keep the ball high. He's got great touch inside 10 feet. He's a lob catcher, but he's also got a lot of viable post play. And Monty Williams was going to Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee and Aiton's there on the bench. And then after the game, it was a very sort of terse response to like, hey, why didn't Aiton play more? It's just like, well, that's internal. Well, your season's on the line. This is a former number one overall pick. It's a guy that did not get an extension from you last season, which is fine. It's fine. You don't need to give a rookie an extension. He's going to be a restricted free agent. And right, like there's plenty of time to pay Aiden his money. And so I'm less concerned about that aspect of things. But I have questions, Pete. I have questions about like this guy because he's an integral part of what your team is supposed to be. He he helps in the screen game. He helps open things up for Chris Paul and Devin Booker in ways that, I'm sorry, like Biombo and JaVale just aren't nah. going to do those same same things. And so what did you see from Aiden and are you concerned about like I, I don't want to get all hot takey about it, but it's just like it's just an interesting thing as an outside observer to see sure. like this guy suddenly be rendered irrelevant partially by his own head coach. Yes, and I think there are two things at play. Uh, one is a more global uh, issue, and then the other is specific to this series. The more global one is Mike. You made a comment recently about how Aiton is more of a like an off ball guy. And I'm curious how much DeAndre Ayton thinks he's an off-ball guy versus how much that's been the role that he's been asked to play. Now, like he had a shot in, gosh, I want to say game three or something like that. Uh, like they they threw the ball uh, to him in, into the post and he had a nice like caught it without hesitation, fade away 17, 18 footer, which is a hard shot. And he swished it. And so he's got like a certain amount of offense that I would not be surprised if he felt that he could do more offensively. Now, whether or not that's true is up for debate, but within himself, I, I would venture a guess. And so that's the more global part of this. That And it's funny, going into the series, I thought he would be the difference maker. I thought he would be the guy that his physicality around the rim and ability to finish would be uh, difficult for the Mavericks to counter. Now, one of the reasons why that was limited is Dallas has gotten really good on defense with guys that are not necessarily like 
they got like Reggie Bullock. We had Bullock and or Davis Bertans getting minutes. They have several guys that like in under normal circumstances, it's like, yeah, you should get picked on Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah, Dinwiddie, Brunson, Bertans. Size. They all got minutes in this series, key minutes. And it's just like those dudes aren't good defenders. Right. But Dallas is a good defense. So I think that, that in the Western Conference finals, that's going to be fun to kind of explore. Why is Dallas a good defensive team? But what ended up happening, in my opinion, was it was the other way around that Dallas's offense makes things particularly complicated for Phoenix's defense in that Aiton is mobile for one of the big bigs in the NBA, like relative to a Rudy Gobert. He is a little lighter on his feet. He's a little more agile. But in the, in the Mavericks, you have a one of the best one-on-one players in the world who just getting a little bit of an advantage, he's going to hit that step back jumper. He's going to isolate on Aiton. And so they kept targeting Aiton. It's Luca versus Aiton, play after play. And there was one play where Luca even took him into the post, D, got one of those nail touches right in the middle of the free throw line, backed him down, fade away right over the top of you. And so the, and then you surround that guy with all of these t- tall shooters. So you're asking DeAndre Ayton, he has to play perimeter defense at a high level. And so what what I was saying in the first segment, Mike, about how when you get a team like Milwaukee out of their, like the thing that they should be doing is not something that they're used to be doing. You end up maybe with a game plan like, oh, let's leave Grant Williams and Derek White open. And what does Phoenix do as kind of that last ditch effort is they go small. We were talking recently, Phoenix doesn't have small ball looks. Dallas forced them into that as kind of like a last resort. And it was a lineup that had only played like 16 minutes all season long. And as soon as you get to that point in the series, Mike, where you're like doing things that you're not used to doing because that's what you need to do, that this is what ends up up, up happening. But I think a big part of that was because Aiton, like there's a reason why the league has gone smaller and it's in part because you have to be able to defend the perimeter and Dallas is a team that you have to defend the perimeter against just about as much as anyone. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you guys brought up the Aiden point. Cause it's interesting, not just in looking back at this series, but in thinking, well, where does Phoenix go from here? And of course we've already had some of the speculation. I, I referenced the Simmons pot earlier. They were already talking about, well, yeah, like him, uh, Simmons and Rosello Phoenix might be looking to trade him. Uh, and, and Williams, the comment that he made, it came after like there was, I don't know if a confrontation might be a little too strong, but Aiden came out and they were, it looked like they were arguing mm-hmm. on the sideline yeah. and then he barely plays. So the, the previous series against New Orleans, 35 minutes, 21 points, 10 rebounds for Aiden on, let's see what we, 70% from the field. This series, 27 minutes, 15 points, eight rebounds, 57%, uh, or that's the free throw lines, 58% from the field. I, Pete, as you were describing Aiden, I could. I can't lie. I got some early Dwight vibes in the way that you were mm. describing him because Dwight. Remember, I've, I've said this on this podcast before, but when he comes to the Lakers in, in the Steve Nash, you know, that year, the Sports Illustrated cover before the season starts, inside the NBA goes on, and Shaq calls out Dwight as a, only a screen roll big with no other skills, can't score in the post, mm-hmm. basically like fake center, whatever, man. Anybody can do that. He's not a real dude. He's not a real G like me. And Jack was a real G. So Dwight's that year is like, what are you talking about, man? I, You know how much more I can do? It's my time. I can do this. Forget whatever the Lakers are going to. Forget Kobe. Like, no, nah, just give me the ball on the block. I need to eat. And so Aiton, 
last year was a great soldier. It, it, all you want me to do is defend, screen roll big, lobs, dunks, boom. All of the regular season stuff. Aiton's regular season last year was maddening. All he wanted, all yeah. he was doing was taking pull up jumpers. And what somebody got to him though and was like, "Hey, this is how we're going to win. You just this is the role you have to play." And so the speculation there could simply be he's he thinks he's more, and he's watching Chris Paul struggle, right? And he's uh-huh. watching Devin Book, and he's thinking, "Hey, dude, I'm the number one pick. It's me." Where, why am I not part of this plan? And Monty Williams is like, no, man. So that, again, it's all speculation to some degree. I'm very curious sure. if a story comes out that tells us the real vibe with all that. Pat Riley used to call this the disease of me. And this speaks to your point, D, about like, don't act like you've won the championship when you haven't. Because the disease of me was about when you win a championship, the season after, everybody thinks that they were a bigger part of it than they actually were. And they their aspirations change from being that good soldier that Mike is talking about to accomplishing a little more for themselves, a little more on their resume. And that like when you have the parade, when you have the the I don't know, like all of it's kind of funny, right? Like it's like you didn't actually win anything last year and you have all of these kind of like year after a championship kind of problems in the playoffs. I don't know. I, I wish I saw it. Like, I'm mad at myself for believing that they were more than they, they were. The thing is, though, is the interesting thing about the Suns is that they actually were and are a really good team. The part that interests me is in back-to-back rounds, they ran into big shot creators that are super difficult to defend. Ooh, B.I. too. Yeah, good looking out. And so Bridges is supposed to be that dude who can stop those players. Remember, Bridges was a guy who was being floated as a potential defensive player of the year winner. And he's long and he's got great defensive motor. There's a lot. He's just an excellent defensive player. And I'm not going to take anything away from Bridges here. But he had nothing for B.I. in the first round. He just didn't. They ended up putting Bridges on C.J. And they were defending B.I. with Crowder because Crowder's got more size. And he's got just like he's just a sturdier dude. And he was in there to basically rough up B.I. and just play physical with him. So in this round, like you would you would hope like, okay, well, Bridges is basically going to be our Luca solution. Right. But he wasn't that either. Right. And and they had like Cam Johnson on him a lot. And then because the Mavs play so small so often and they play pick and pop style with Kleba and Luca is such a wizard with with the ball, they forced a lot of switches. And that's when the hunting of guys like Chris Paul and everyone else came into play. So even if Bridges was on Luca to start a possession, he often did not finish possessions against Luca. It's very interesting to me, this idea of the Suns not having a second pitch. And yeah. kind of true about Milwaukee too, right? Yeah. And, and Mike, the cheat code of the big wing. I know that you've touted the big wing, but oh. the big wing can do so much to just basically nuke your plants. Please stop right there. That's a great point. To, and I, what I wanted to get into a, a little bit was Booker too. So and is Booker a big wing? Like not really. You know, he's he's 6'5". Oh, look, look who gives up. Oh, Mike. 
Look who just trades Devin Booker off Team Wing. You were claiming him two, three weeks ago. No, he's a he's Team a, Wing. He's a wing. I I said oh. he's not the he's not the NBA the like number one alpha NBA Finals big wing like very few are. But he like he's in the okay. like Jason Tatum is right. So that that to me. So Booker is trends more towards the uh, kind of like a well, he's better than Donovan Mitchell, I think, and he's a little bit bigger I, than Donovan Mitchell, but he's not. He is not a guy, at least as he showed at the end of this series, that can beat the big wing treatment. So he can mm. be a, a – and Jason Tatum, I think, can. Obviously, Giannis can. Obviously, LeBron, like, as we go on that type of a list. But Jimmy Butler, right, a, a true big wing. And I mean that. So yeah. we're – and that's – he's really a tweener in that sense because he's he's he is like 6'5". I'm ta- – what I need is like 6'7", six, 6'8", six, you yep. know, and – but he's also not Chris Paul where because he, he can still – so games three and four – or wait, is it three and four or four and five? Yes, you had 35 and then 28 in games four and five. And then Dallas started to more aggressively trap him yep, and double yep. him and blitz him, and he couldn't handle it. Now, that doesn't mean that he can't moving forward, but that's that's where – that's the difference to me in that, in that couple inches of size and that couple inches or 10 pounds of muscle finishing through contact inside. And that was to add on to that layer, not having a third primary playmaker or somebody else to just go get a bucket because pain yes. was awful. Um, and that's the spot where you've talked about Pete, like you really like to have that guy and pain did that to the Lakers last year. Somehow they just yep. put it together for like a week. So it was both of those things, but the, the Booker spot was the area that I thought we should focus on. Cause this is the guy that was fourth in MVP voting and you know, he had 19 points and eight turnovers in game six and then 11 points and four turnovers with two assists in, in the game seven. The playoffs expose the things that you're not. Yeah. And yeah. great players learn. Right. And so I don't put it past Booker to be able to deal with high ball traps and more pressure at the point of attack. I don't put it past him to learn how to manage those things but a part of though is pete is like you also need to know what your read is and you also have to have the teammates next to you in order to play out of those reads and phoenix wasn't built for any of those things really it's almost as though he should practice it over the summer and embrace people double teaming him you know that's gonna help him out later and he's oh, 25 man. he's 25 so cut. he can still that's go a up. deep yeah. cut that's a deep cut right <laughs> oh there. i just got the oh, my goodness. okay my bad yeah, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. that's that's a deep cut <laughs> Oh, All man. right, y'all. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, I think we're going to preview the Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics versus the Heat. But until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Ryan spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. One. Listen. 
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.